0: People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach, whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. Brian McLaren is the Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Zoned Properties, a strategic real estate development firm whose primary mission is to provide real estate and sustainability services for the regulated cannabis industry. Based in Scottsdale, Arizona, Brian helps shape the industry across the country and brings an understanding of what cannabis can mean for the commercial real estate industry. In just a few years, this industry has expanded from farming, to warehousing, manufacturing, retail, finance, and transportation. In some places, it is a significant player in the commercial real estate industry. Today's conversation takes us through some of the ins and outs of this industry and its impact on commercial real estate and beyond. Welcome to the pod, Brian. Brian, good morning. How are you?
1: Hey, good morning, Vlad. I'm great. How are you doing?
0: Doing well. Doing where? Where do we find you today? Where are you?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, still at home base here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, I think as probably most people during our recording right now, we're in the the holiday week. So (laughs) tidying up the desk and putting final strategy points on for 2022.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Good. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about your business and your background, Brian, uh, just so we get a little bit of a sense of uh, you know who Zoned Properties is and kind of how you came to this role.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. And, and Vlad, again, I'm just so excited to be chatting with you. Our, I'll give a little overview for the audience and for the discussion, but I'll say our our business focus being real estate and the regulated cannabis industry, I tend to do a lot of interview discussions with cannabis folks, um, but really trying to have more discussions with commercial real estate folks. It's, it's a side of kind of the other side of the equation where, where it's cannabis is out there, but I feel like in-depth discussions are not happening enough. So I really appreciate the, the audience here.
0: Happy to do it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, Uh, Hello, everyone. So my name is Brian McLaren. I'm the chairman and chief executive officer of Zoned Properties, and our company is a niche market strategic real estate firm focused on highly regulated industries and specifically what we've been doing for about the past decade, um, really from about 2013, 2014 up to here at, at 2022 is focused on the emerging legalized cannabis space. And our firm is on the side of the commercial real estate equation where the services take place. Uh, in cannabis, we're seeing the two forks in the road of real estate development. I mean, again, a very new industry from the real estate perspective, you know, right. thinking Yeah, hundred year timelines. Um, there are, Kind of financial real estate investment trusts emerging. So while those are very important, that's not zoned properties. We are specifically on the full services side and tackle just about every part of the real estate. Equation and evolution for a cannabis project. From and if
0: and if I can quickly ask you there, like, does that include brokerage, development, yeah. sort of project management, property management? You know, wh- where in that sort of spectrum do your activities fit?
1: Yeah, great question, Vlad. So we are a nationally focused firm here in the U.S. And in that full services, we have four main verticals through the real estate development process. We have an advisory consulting team. We have a full transactional brokerage team. We have an investment platform where we acquire and develop and lease properties directly as a company. And then our fourth vertical is strategic projects. And we're working on some exciting property technology and real estate related franchising and cannabis So what we have aimed to do is really try to provide that full process for a client, a partner, or a project from the moment they decide they want to open or start or operate a cannabis business, we can take care of everything related to the real estate.
0: Um, And we should probably clarify uh, when you say here, operate a cannabis business, there's a, there's a life cycle in, in that as well, right. From manufacturing to right to you know, retail essentially. Right. Yep. And so you, you, you work in that spectrum as well. Is that correct?
1: Correct. And I think it might be helpful, Vlad, to lay a little kind of roadmap here or, yeah. or, or landscape for the audience for the cannabis. So, you know, I, I think from listening to a bunch of your episodes, your audience is probably very well informed in commercial real estate Um, And for us, specifically focused on cannabis and the nuance of the zoning and permitting, which is really important. We'll get to that in the discussion for sure. But where our team at Zoned Properties focuses is kind of on the overlap of those two bubbles of all the regulations required in the cannabis industry. And I'll give that kind of national overview in, in just a moment and then all the complexity related to the real estate. So that's where we live in that niche market. Over the past really three decades, starting in the 90s with California and Arizona, we've seen this really accelerated process in the past few years, really since 2015, of legalization of marijuana or cannabis on a state-by-state basis across the United States. And we're starting to see Other nationalities like Canada or recently Malta legalize at the federal level. And what makes cannabis such an interesting real estate industry to play in is that process of state-by-state legalization. So we essentially have a circumstance where the first kind of handful of states, Colorado was a really big one. That was the first state to fully legalize adult use. And these are happening not just state by state over the years through voter ballot initiatives, through legislative referendums, but they are totally unique and different in every state. And then if we want to call it trickle-down regulations, what happens is that as a state legalizes the State Departments then defer to the localities to our you know forty 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 two thousand or so nationally counties municipalities, townships to then make up their own requirements and regulations of where and how a cannabis property and business can operate. And the the three primary functions of a cannabis business from the real estate perspective can be broken down to commercial retail. So those are your dispensary storefronts, Sure. industrial cultivation. So that's kind of your, kind of put that sometimes in the agricultural category, but cultivation, you know, the production of the raw material, growing the plants, and then distribution and manufacturing so that's extraction of the oils from the plants the creation of edibles or different products to send down the sales cycle so each of those different uses are then kind of zoned and and organized and regulated differently so it's essentially of the maybe 25,000 cannabis projects now nationally across this country every single project has a unique set of requirements to develop the real estate so that's what we're that's what we're looking at here in and, real time.
0: and and that distinction comes primarily from the fact that it's not only a different state, but each each municipality could have its own sort of rules and regulations around it, correct?
1: Exactly. And and, and then you have to lay over the licensing. So that's the other right. big factor. Typically, when you approach a commercial real estate project in cannabis, you need to really confirm two big things. The first is that local zoning and permitting. So just what you mentioned, Vlad, the st- a state legalizes, they create the program, and then they tell the counties and municipalities and localities to make up their own rules, zoning, size, hours of operations. So that's one. Once you get all your real estate entitlements sorted, then you have to make sure your cannabis or marijuana license is matched to the property. And that's done at the state level. So you're managing local, state, and... And then the conflict at the federal level—that this is still technically federally illegal,
0: right? So th- th- that was going to be my follow-up question. of so th- wh- where are we, kind of, with the FDA and also federal rules mm-hmm. around this as well, right? Because it is technically a consumable, so does FDA counter into this anyway? And then, um, I my understanding is that the federal government still kind of, you know, you know, turns the other way when it comes to some of this stuff, right? I mean, that seems to be. Um, where things are at this moment. Is that is that accurate?
1: Yeah, and quickly before I dive into some of that, let's kind of throw a flag up here for listeners. Absolutely consult local council before investing in a project, before getting involved in a project. These regulations at local, state, and federal interpretation shift now on a weekly, if not daily basis. <laughs> so wow. our that's the exciting part of the regulated cannabis industry is that it's really not just... It's not just emerging, but now the pace at which it's developing is getting really exciting. The momentum is there. So we are what I would view as kind of on the precipice of federal legalization. We are now at at least 37 states having legalized some major form of medical or adult use. And the vast majority, it's something like 46, maybe 45 states have all but either legalized or decriminalized at the state level. And so the federal government essentially says, okay, the tipping point has come and gone. We're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube here. Yeah, You know, we have twenty-five to 30,000 different businesses operating. I think the recent job growth is something in the half a million new jobs created. You know, so that the value proposition of legalizing and regulating is here. We are starting to see some really good data and evidence that the propaganda, the history of the war on drugs, the fear related to, and, and might I say for you know those on listening to this that might not be sold yet, it's a rightful fear. It's the unknown. What happens when cannabis comes to our community? But what we're finding is that a lot of those fears are being alleviated or totally vindicated, meaning this is not increasing crime necessarily. It is not leading to gateway drug use, like increasing opioid overdoses, but in fact, the opposite. Tax dollars are coming in, economic prosperity factors are going up, property values are increasing, both commercially and residentially. So back to kind of the federal level, Vlad, what, what has occurred over the past few years, really in 2020, we saw increased congressional activity around what federally legal cannabis might look like. I think that at the Fed level, again, they know it's, it would be nearly impossible to reverse the state's sure. kind of rights on, on getting this industry going. Massive voter approval, a recent poll I saw had like high 80% of voters would support legalized cannabis. So now it's just a matter of how. Cannabis is included on the controlled substances list at the level one, the highest designation of the most dangerous. It's, you know, it's above cocaine. And so the question is, do you, how do you legalize? Do you reschedule that substance? Do you deschedule it? So basically, take it off entirely and regulate it like alcohol. And then, you know, do you have a big federal reform that's going to manage it at the federal level? Or do you just say, okay, it's no longer federally illegal, and we defer to the states. And Congress has essentially been batting around, you know, a dozen different proposed bills that are Kind of variables of that discussion sure, and we don't sure. we don't know yet
0: yeah well let's focus on the commercial real estate side of things right so um you said about if if i heard you correctly you said 37 states have now uh, Correct. uh yep. enacted some form of legalization of this what what has happened in those states from a cannabis commercial real estate's um you know point of view so i assume you know, Colorado, California, Washington, which were some of the first ones to kind of go in this direction. What what, what have you seen? Um, um, and um, I know one of the big issues is, uh, you know, around how to transact and how to, you know, pay your landlord and that kind of thing. And maybe I'm jumping into things a little bit too, you know, quickly, no, but, but, but let, let's talk about some of those dynamics because I think from our audience's point of view, I think they're trying to figure out, like, you know, can I, you know, should I have this as a tenant? Uh, you know, where right. where do things stand?
1: Right. You know, this is, I think, the real meat of the conversation. I love talking about this, so it's. I think there'll be. I'll try to put as much mineable value here for the audience. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. It, it's. I will say what's exciting about right now, kind of the 20, end of 2021, start of 2022 year is we're seeing a big shift on the services and transactional side of commercial real estate related to cannabis. So what I mean by that is over really the past decade leading up to 2021, it was virtually impossible to find a broker or a title agent or a mortgage service provider that would actually work with and service a cannabis-related piece of real estate or property. And I think probably one of the big reasons for that is just risk-reward. It's a very complex industry. There's a lot of liability. A lot of these commercial real estate projects fail, whether it's due to changes in local regulations or the permit falls through. There's also a big challenge kind of quickly back to the federal level, is that until federal reform happens, traditional real estate financing is unavailable. So it you can't just go to your local bank and get a commercial real estate loan to develop a project. right right. And so really, I'd say in the past six months, the last two quarters of 2021, we are, we as a team at Zone Properties are starting to get a lot of calls and trying to do as much coaching as we can from traditional real estate professionals that are working on their first cannabis project or real estate investors that are looking to acquire and fold a cannabis project into their portfolio.
0: And but Brian, if I can uh, ask you quickly, are there opportunistic lenders that are coming into this space?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, Up to this point, those real estate investment trusts that probably on the uh, commercial real estate side, we're all familiar with over here, but cannabis people, it's kind of a new concept. (laughs) Um, So because there's no banking available, these big multi-billion dollar cannabis focused REITs have emerged. And they've probably, there's about a dozen or so that are kind of publicly known And they've probably done close to $10 billion nationally worth of commercial real estate sale leasebacks or fold-ins or roll-ups. Apart from that, Vlad, it's really one-off private investors. So small cannabis groups, starting with friends and family money or family office investors. One of the biggest barriers to bringing more investment dollars in is back to those service providers, So a commercial portfolio that has a, you know, well-known title company or a well-known property management group or mortgage servicer, they up to this point have kind of refused to touch cannabis. And sometimes they don't realize it until they're a year into servicing the project and they go, wait, why is this one, you know, tenant been paying in cash?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: Because they can't get a bank account or so it's, what I, what I will say on that, Vlad, is it's getting way better. We're starting to see large traditional brokerages really enter the space. We're starting to see large title national title companies placing and handling escrow transactions. Uh, but the, the debt and insurance risk is still there. So for the audience, your two biggest ones from a real estate owner, investor, or servicer is always check on the policies and seek direct written feedback from your insurance and from any debt lenders. You want to make sure that having a cannabis operation in your portfolio at your property, you know, in your investment will not trigger any defaults and then make sure you can get around those. That's huge.
0: Interesting. Um, from a kind of development side, and maybe you know, you know, leasing side. Let's start with the manufacturing sort of side of things, right? So most of this stuff is grown indoors, I suspect, except maybe Northern California, Humboldt County, where it's grown outdoors. <laughs>
1: where it's um, <laughs>
0: but you know, where 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 are we seeing these things pop up? I mean, are these sort of a traditional kind of industrial assets and um, Uh, you know, industrial has been on a tear here over over the last few years. Is it, you know, getting harder to find places where you can, you know, harvest?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just a quick anecdote, (laughs) anecdotal story for for everyone. It it used to be Northern California, Southern Oregon, how you would find a cannabis grows, you'd look for the brand new fence. So, you know, as you're driving through a wooded neighborhood you know, all the properties and the houses look the same or the commercial, and then all of a sudden a really nice brand new fence. Uh, That's typically how you would spot some of those outdoor grows. They'd be higher than normal. And that was kind of when years ago when cannabis was in the gray. So a lot of those were being governed under initial state rules that allowed for kind of loose growing regulations and caregivers. Now we are definitely seeing the shift to a lot of either indoor industrial or kind of what you would still call indoor agricultural controlled environmental agriculture and greenhouses. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because we're still early on this paradigm shift, meaning that kind of the reversal of the understanding of cannabis in our communities and how that impacts us, there's still a lot of, of unknowns, a lot of miseducation, which has led many, many, many of these localities to restrict or ban any outdoor agriculture. So there's, okay. there's fear of kind of cross-pollination. You know, I've been in local <laughs> city council meetings giving <laughs> kind of informational presentations where the council members are worried that dust devils are going to pick up you know, our tornadoes, tornadoes will pick up cannabis seeds and spread them throughout the entire community. Um, so it's we're still learning, we're kind of emerging together. But from a commercial real estate perspective, the vast majority ends up being zoned in industrial or heavy commercial areas. Ends up being in warehouse-like structures, and depending on the operation, some of the big costs and impacts come down to utilities. So a lot of electric use and costs, a lot of water use and costs, and we really need some of the sustainable development folks that are working in the industry that are helping increase energy efficiency, cut down on bills, and those are going to be the types of innovations that I'm excited to see in the industry.
0: Interesting, interesting. So so sounds like data centers and cannabis manufacturers are the are the hogs for uh some of our, you know, utilities here. Um so from a from kind of an overall market point of view, do you have a sense in terms of like, you know, where we are today just from a manufacturing side of things, you know, how how big is this maybe in, you know, millions of square feet and where yep. are the biggest um lo- locations for this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a question mark still. So I'm speculating here for everyone, but I've got some, I'm some pretty good data kind of my notes in front of me. And, and one of the things Vlad, you and I talked about offline kind of before this discussion was contemplating whether cannabis would end up kind of fitting into that life sciences industrial category.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: And we can definitely get back to this in a moment, but just putting that kind of bookmark out there that I think that's likely where we will see a mirroring, probably less like data centers and far more like life sciences industrial. Um, So as cannabis is emerging, several of the most prominent data trackers are projecting that the cannabis industry as a whole from an economic impact or GDP equivalent analysis could reach closer to 200 billion with a B, by 2025 to 2030, so that's putting cannabis pretty close to the alcohol industry, which hit, which hits kind of a couple percentage points of total GDP in the U.S. And the reason I'm bringing those data points up to lead us to a, a very rough back of the envelope calculation for real estate, if we look at you know kind of the 16 trillion dollars worth of total. Uh, real estate and the one and a half trillion of industrial, you know we might back into a data set that looks like somewhere around a hundred to one hundred and twenty five billion worth of cannabis commercial real estate over the next decade.
0: Are you talking uh, about value of the real estate or value uh, of the real
1: estate? Got yep. it so combination of both acquisition as well as investment in improvements primarily the vast bulk of that is on the manufacturing the cultivation that's required to build out these greenhouses or or develop the guts of a you know block warehouse sure. that needs to become a grow so from a dollar perspective over the next decade we're likely going to see around 100 billion or so
0: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. From, um, uh, from a geographic dispersion point of view, um, how do you see this evolving? Like, you know, is it going to be primarily closer to the bigger, you know, demographic areas, you know, like LA, New York, I don't know, you know, Chicago, right? Yeah. Or are there other places that are maybe smaller, but, you know, because of the sort of cheaper nature of the, of the, you know, property there, it, it, it might emerge there as sort of a, you know, a sub-industry, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think the answer right now, Vlad, is both. So there's there's pros and cons to each. The biggest kind of persuasive argument to being centrally located, you know, in a major dense area is job opportunities. So one of the biggest challenges in any emerging industry is recruiting, training, and retaining jobs. So bringing individuals, training them in and keeping them there, especially in an industry that shifts very rapidly like cannabis. And when I, when I say that, I mean the regulations shift, the legality shifts. And from a real estate perspective, while those central dense locations are good for, for job placement, sometimes the, the city outskirts and kind of rural localities around those larger cities, have a better opportunity, because you have more of a chance to collaborate transparently with local regulators to build kind of the program. So you can have a better grasp and understanding there's less, less red tape around kind of how the real estate development and operations going to take place. Um, But I think we're going to see it everywhere. So one of our One of the projects that our team at Zoned Properties has been working on and investing in is a property technology platform that we've called ReZone. And the entire point of the platform is to help users, both cannabis companies as well as brokers and land use attorneys and city officials, to help them track on what we call a green zone map. What localities have regulations? Where properties have been zoned for cannabis use? Um, and it it is really across the board. It's a total checkerboard potpourri. So, I'll give you a quick example. So, New York and New Jersey, being two of the most recent states to legal, legalize cannabis, their two state level legalization measures had a very similar real estate impact function where they allowed the localities, the townships in New York and New Jersey to either opt in or opt out of allowing cannabis businesses. And so what we saw was roughly between the two states, I mean, about a thousand different local discussions and it it, it really, there's no standard approach. You know, Newark, one of the biggest New Jersey localities opted in and hosted their own lottery and you're seeing some of the biggest cities in New York opt out out of kind of an initial precautionary principle. Uh, so it, coming full circle to your question, Vlad, you know, we're going to see these real estate developments in in large, dense city centers or more rural agricultural. A lot of that also just depends on the initial regulations.
0: Yeah. And my kind of follow up question to that is, have you seen regulations you know, change, uh, you know, from approval to disapproval, you know, as sort of a new mayor or a new city council sort of sworn in, uh, you know, has that happened? You know, can it go either in either direction?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely can go either direction. So that's the real important thing for, again, any investors on the call, any project teams that are either already working in cannabis or thinking about it, you really want to make sure you have kind of what we call the real estate brain trust, Whether that's a land use attorney or a local architect and planner, someone that has direct contact or a a team that has direct contact with those local, you know, the director of planning or the planning and zoning commission to be able to see what discussions are happening because they do change. In the years ago, they used to change with basically no notice because the locality deemed it an emergency measure. (laughs) Now that's getting a little better where you're seeing, you know, multiple hearings under standard zoning process and code adoption process. Um, But yeah, we're starting to see, I think, the trend move far more weighted in a positive direction. Positive meaning pro can. So we're starting to see municipalities actually... Kind of through the election process, get rid of mayors that are anti-cannabis and bring pro-cannabis mayors in, and they're running on those platforms.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, So that's from a manufacturing point of view. Um, What are you seeing on the sort of you know retail side? I have one anecdote. There's one construction company that we've worked with in the past that um, you know during the sort of last you know 24 36 months. That business for them, you know, helping kind of one of their clients who is a, you know, retail proprietor in this area grow nationally has been a boon for them. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing on the retail side. You know, retail is kind of an interesting market also because it's being, you know, super affected by the pandemic and that kind of stuff. And people are, you know, looking at what retail models work. Maybe this is one. Right. But I'm curious to sort of see, you know, what what are you seeing there?
1: Yeah. So there's three levels of of kind of groupings here for the retail you've got your mom and pops kind of your your local operators that uh won a license or applied for a license to run a cannabis dispensary then you've got your sso's your single state operators so maybe they run a chain of retail dispensaries just in that state and then in the industry what we call mso's multi-state operators And those are primarily what you would see in most of the public company headlines. Those are the groups that are deploying hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, to build a national brand and retail presence. And one of the things, bringing this back to commercial real estate, that we've seen is that the first position advantage for these groups that are wanting to establish their brands, and mostly at the single state operator and multi-state operator They're willing to pay tremendous premiums to acquire brick-and-mortar retail locations or pay serious premiums on long-term lease agreements to occupy those spaces. So from the real estate perspective, one of the reasons those cannabis companies are willing to do that is because the zoning is so intense. So that's where our company's whole evolution and name came from, Zoned Properties, The local regulations can be so strict that you maybe only have a handful of properties that qualify. So on the retail brick and mortar level, and for audience members that aren't as familiar with cannabis, the vast majority nationally of sales still have to be done in person at a licensed brick and mortar retail dispensary. So we're starting to see some direct-to-consumer delivery programs emerge but the vast majority nationally still requires those companies to be in a retail location, and most of those locations need significant investment and improvements. So now, the values are significant.
0: Yeah. My my sort of quick question on this, and this you know might be a very basic question. Uh, are there you know uh, certain zone approvals that the landlord, uh, the retail landlord, also has to uh, you know you know overcome? Uh, can the city regulate what kind of retail can go into a certain space? And and can this be something that you know, limits their ability to work with a cannabis uh, retailer?
1: Yeah, yeah. And back to kind of the importance of your real estate brain trust. Um, so it's different in every locality. The two general categories is that the zoning and permitting is required to be attached pertinent to the property, a little real estate term there for everyone, I'm sure most are familiar with, but attached to the actual land and building. But the other category, a lot of times the permit can only be applied for and approved through the cannabis company, which puts a landlord at risk because if that operator leaves, there goes the premium value of the cannabis permit leaves with it. So, it just depends on your locality, what that process looks like, and in locations where the process is specifically attached to the property, that's a great position to be in as a property owner. We work with a lot of clients that that may or may not be in that kind of quote-unquote green zone, so a, a parcel or a zoning designation that can be qualified for cannabis use that you can look to Develop that property on speculation. That if you get those entitlements attached, you're going to be able to attract a premium buyer or a premium tenant.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So, what about uh, consolidation? So, I guess any industry that kind of you know starts fresh, it's sort of the wild west, right? There's a lot of sort of small prospectors and kind of operators, right, working around the um, industry. But then as time goes by uh there tends to be kind of a consolidation and sort of bigger bigger players emerge. Are we seeing that kind of from the both to manufacturing and the and the retail side of things?
1: Yeah, you're spot on, Vlad. So I would say kind of 2010 to 2020 was really the emergence phase. <clears throat> 2020 forward and definitely here at the new year into 2022 is the consolidation phase of the cannabis industry. So for the past decade, we saw a lot of investment in that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Your speculators, uh, you know, paying to get licenses. In and I, I should have mentioned this a while ago for the audience, but many states that legalize cannabis. So of those thirty-seven, the majority of them have have in the past developed limited license structures. So, for example, in Arizona, where we're based there initially were only allowed to be 130 vertical licenses statewide. So those licenses became really valuable. And in that emergent stage of this industry, the premiums that were paid for those first mover advantages were significant just to get established, get market share, and on a state-by-state basis. Now we are definitely seeing the shift into the consolidation phase where these larger multi-state operators or multiple single state operators are having a lot of merger and acquisition activity just this morning. So the week here between kind of the Christmas and new year's holidays, Arizona saw over a $200 million acquisition done by one of the largest national operators of a local chain of licenses here in Arizona. So there are, there are major dollars being invested now and that growth trend is my guess going to lead to what typically occurs in a emerging capitalist business yeah. society of, you know, a couple behemoth companies, and then lots of kind of grassroots mom and pops, which that's the history of the cannabis industry for everyone listening. Yeah, this truly was a grassroots movement. And all of us that operate in the industry today, have 1000s of people to thank that came before us that have been Kind of looking to create this paradigm shift, yeah, and that, yeah. that culture is still very much alive in the industry.
0: Yeah. So when people talk about cannabis, usually the you know the mind kind of goes to you know adult consumption, right? Um, of this stuff. Um, but as you and I talked, as, and as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, um, there is kind of a life science component to this as well, because this plant can be used for other stuff too. Um, run us through some of the, you know, different types of products that are, that are kind of part of this industry, if you will, uh, because I think it is relevant to have sort of an open mind kind of in terms of, you know, what, what else can be created from this one plant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the, probably the two most important areas of discussion before we hop on this first session, Vlad, are, are the life sciences transition and then if we have time to come back to the social equity component of the cannabis industry, and maybe we follow up with that because it's got some big impacts on commercial real estate. But the life sciences one is really interesting. What what I've observed in the industry is that the growth momentum has increased so significantly for legalization on a state-by-state level, going from medical cannabis or medical marijuana use straight to adult use and recreational, that we've almost leapfrogged some of the life science and medical research applications. So one of our one of the most exciting projects we're working on right now, one of our clients is a medical cannabis researcher. She's one of the only federally approved, so she has a DEA-issued cultivation license, so she's federally legal. And her sole focus is on growing and, and processing the cannabis plant for medical applications. So looking at treatment of PTSD for vets, looking at potential applications for epilepsy, Alzheimer's, pain mitigation, and from a life sciences perspective, that kind of whole scientific opportunity to study, research, and apply this plant, not just for health, but hemp for example, which is part of the cannabis family, has lots of building applications, hempcrete, um, hemp and fungi manufacturing, construction. So that's a whole nother conversation. But the life sciences side of this and the research dollars that can come in, and we've already seen this through some acquisitions done by big pharma. Um, I think it was Pfizer even recently did a huge acquisition of a big laboratory life sciences company that has some cannabis research in process i mean this is where the merger of not just kind of cannabis like alcohol which is where it's moved more recently in the legalization trend but cannabis as a health and pharmaceutical application to me that's where there's some really exciting things come
0: um, are you seeing this research happening kind of the you know traditional clusters of you know San Diego Bay Area Seattle Cambridge right or are there other places where you know this particular study might be happening
1: It's so it's so new Vlad so <clears throat> the reason that the life sciences and medical research side of it is so new is because for decades the federal government And I'll try to keep this brief because I know we're going a a little bit long on this first session. But the federal government, because it still has not reformed and legalized, it forever for decades only had one federal cannabis cultivation site available for research. That was at the University of Mississippi. Now, through some ongoing discussion and congressional testimony and, and litigative pushing, They have opened up the issuance of a handful of additional cultivation and research licenses. This is the one I just referenced earlier with our client project here in Arizona. But because that just happened really this past year, they still have not really defined where these sites can go. For now, they have to stay in the state in which that medical researcher was issued that DEA cannabis research license. Interesting. the typical kind of Northern California or Seattle or areas you might think that have your main pharmaceutical or life science. It's just not there yet because the federal reform hasn't come. But I think when it does Vlad, I think you'll see a significant, you know, like moths to a flame here reference of dollars going to those research centers. Yeah.
0: Um, You mentioned a few times sort of things that, you know, Are shaping the industry, you know, kind of some markers to you know look for. But if you could just sort of briefly summarize kind of what to the next, you know, five years look into this industry, and if you know somebody from the commercial real estate side would like to get more involved in this, you know, how how should they approach, you know, uh, thinking about some of the trends that will be shaping this space over the next, you know, five years to a decade. Yeah, perfect. And maybe a decade is too long, but but let's let's cap it at five years, right?
1: Yeah, it's short, short, short time frame for us commercial real estate folks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think perfect way to conclude the discussion, and maybe two points, Vlad, on on what to keep an eye out for. In the true spirit of of the cannabis industry, it's all about one-on-one local conversations, and so for our for our real estate professionals and investors out there those local conversations I'm referencing are really with all of your typical service providers and vendors. Talk with your insurance agents and carriers, ask questions to the underwriters, talk with your local banks that you might typically borrow um, for real estate development projects. And the reason I'm starting there is that those individuals are now having cannabis panels and discussions and presentations in their trade associations nationally. So this this past year, kind of right when the, the pandemic broke out, it kind of stalled a bit of it. But we had the first cannabis panel discussion as part of the MBA, the Mortgage Brokers Association. And it was, I mean, thousands of service professionals from across the country were listening in, asking questions, learning in real time. So first and foremost, reach out to your local vendors and partners and have those discussions. Ask the questions. You might be surprised by the responses. And then second, I think everyone really just needs to keep an eye as best as possible on federal reform. So we have two primary ones that uh, that I'm focused on for everyone to keep track of. I'll, I'll, I'll leave these two specifics. But the Safe Banking Act is a specific bill that unfortunately has now failed multiple times through Congress. It can't get past the House, interestingly. Um, but the Safe Banking Act would allow federal approval for national banking in cannabis. So that one's huge for commercial real estate. Yeah. And then actual full federal reform. Again, there's lots of bills constantly being proposed, but the most prominent one right now is out of, interestingly, Representative Mace from South Carolina. She's proposed the States Act, which actually essentially allows cannabis to be federally legal and just keep doing what it's doing. So continue to go on a state-by-state basis of, of legalization and structure without the federal government necessarily coming in and overhauling the entire system. So those are the, for everyone out there that's kind of either in the industry or looking to enter, you really want to combine those two points because that's going to trickle down in regulations to affect your permitting, affect servicing your properties um, and how you pull return on investment out of those projects.
0: Yeah. And Brian, as we, you know, close here, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to sort of you know plug zone properties a little bit. But if people want to find out more about you guys, you know, where should they go? Sure, yeah.
1: Thanks, Vlad. <laughs> I, I get so into this stuff, I always forget to talk about our company. Um, so for anyone listening, you can visit our website, which is zonedproperties.com. Feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is just Brian B-R-Y-A-N, at zonedproperties.com. And all of our our email, contact information, um, our Twitter account, at Zoned Properties. I'm constantly tweeting about local zoning kind of discussions and and adoptions. um, And always interested to have a discussion, help educate and assist on projects wherever is helpful for folks.
0: Brian, thank you so much. This was super informful, uh, informful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> super informative. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and uh, stay safe out there.
1: Yeah, you as well. You're the best, Vlad.
0: Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.